This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 19th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. The message is by Father Ron Baird. You all know what the nickname of that hymn is? That's the John Wayne hymn. John Wayne. What do they call it? The past couple of weeks we've been looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I want to remind you that when Paul wrote to churches, he wasn't just sort of writing a nice theological essay that he would send out to everybody. He was actually addressing real people with real issues things that he had learned from his time with him, things that people wrote to him and told him about, problems that were going on, good things that were happening. And so when he writes, he, he writes for a specific reason, to actually address the things that are going on in those churches. For us, it, that's really kind of a good thing because it helps us to see that, you know, some things never change. You know, people are people. We tend to deal with the same kinds of things all the time. And so we get some very practical information about what sorts of things we ought to do and how it is that we ought to um, live and, and to grow. And so that's really been sort of the focus of Ephesians as he's been talking about how do we grow in, in his terms into the full stature of Christ. Really, how do we grow up the way God intends for us to be? How do we finally get to that point to where we really are the people that God created us to be when we can be mature? And what would that look like if we did? And, we, and we've seen some examples of that previously. And today he goes on and, and gives us more practical information about how we can grow up to be like Jesus. And it's good for us because it helps us to measure our own Christian journey. How are we doing? You know, we all like to think of ourselves as very mature and uh, very um, with it and having all the answers and but in reality, we all struggle. Um, and the good news is that you're not alone. Everybody else here is struggling right along with you. Uh, the bad news is that you're not done. Um, you got a ways to go. And so he starts off today's lesson, which in the contemporary English version translates it a little bit differently. In, in this, he starts off saying, do not be unwise, but be wise. It sounds so nice, doesn't it? In the contemporary English version, which is a little more direct in, in its phraseology because it's more modern in the way it talks, says, don't be stupid, <laughs> be wise. Don't be stupid, be wise. Don't do dumb things. You know, he says, we live in difficult times. You know, make the life that you have, the minutes, the hours, the days, count. They matter. I have to say, when I was younger, I don't know if I could have really appreciated that the same way. I do know that the older I get, the faster time goes. And my father-in-law, who will be 90 next year, told me that it gets worse. <laughs> the older you get, it goes even faster. And I keep thinking, wow, you know, it just goes so fast. I, uh, there are so many things that I dreamed about and that, that I really you know, now know that I didn't know that, that you, know, you can't go back and recapture. Um, and so that's why Paul's giving this advice. He says, you know, be smart about what you do. Make your moments, this life that God gave you, count. Don't waste it. And then he goes on to get more specific. He says, don't get drunk with wine. 
Now, isn't it interesting that he, he says this? You know, we, we kind of look that and, at that and we go, okay, it means don't get drunk. But, but he's being even more specific than that. He says, don't get drunk with wine. I don't know if that meant that getting drunk with Jack Daniels was fine. But more likely what it is is he's addressing a very specific thing that's going on at Ephesus. Don't get drunk with wine. Why is it that he would pick wine? They had wine for communion, didn't they? One of the things that happened after you did the communion was you had all this wine and people would bring potlucks. And basically every they would have a feast after they'd eaten. I mean after they'd had services. And they called it an agape meal. You probably heard of that. We decorate it up now to make it look nice, but um and it was supposed to be a loving meal in which everybody shared with one another. It's kinda of like potluck. But what they found was that some people thought that if a little bit of wine is good, a lot of wine is better. Now, you can easily see how they got to this because you could point to Scripture, couldn't you? Proverbs says, wine gladdens the heart. Who doesn't want a glad heart? I mean, when Jesus changed the water into wine, he made, what, 500 gallons or something? So should emulate Jesus, right, and be like him? Apparently in Ephesus, they have a problem that the coffee hour afterwards was getting to be, you know, a drunken mess. The people were drinking far too much. And that it, they were really losing sight of the whole reason why they brought the wine to begin with. And it's not hard for churches to do that, by the way. It's very easy for churches to fall into that sort of um, club sort of mentality where we become more concerned with with we use church words for it, fellowship, than we are with discipleship, with growing in the faith. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, don't get drunk with wine. And then he goes on to say, why? He says, for that is debauchery, is the way it's translated in the New Revised Standard Version. Anybody here know what debauchery means? See, we don't know what it means, but we know it's not good, don't we? <laughs> I mean, it even sounds bad, debauchery. Hmm? A fireman's party, huh? It's actually not as bad as it sounds. If you were to translate it literally, it would go something like, don't get drunk with wine, for that is a waste. It's a waste of your life, of your talents, of your time. It's a waste of, of everything that God has given you. You're blowing it on worldly passions and desires. And so he says, don't do that. And it goes back to that last concept he had where he said, you know, don't be wise, don't be unwise, for the time is evil. And it's not that, you know, everybody's a bad person or something. It's that you need to make the moments count. And if you're coming to church and you can't wait to get through the service so that you can get to the, the agape afterwards and drink a lot, you're missing the whole point. You're not going to grow in your faith at all if you really think that church is sort of a club or a social gathering. You know, fellowship and support is an important part of church, 
but it's an important part of it so that we can help one another to grow into the full stature of Christ. And so he says, don't get drunk with wine. So I guess it would probably apply to Jack Daniels about as well. But in particular here, he's talking about what's going on in Ephesus in church. And then he gives them the alternative, which is interesting. Am I remember what it was? Instead of getting drunk with wine, what should you do? Hmm? Be filled with the Spirit, yeah. Now, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, you have to go back to the previous verse after he says about how the time is evil and don't waste it. Because at the end of that, he does say what we should do instead of wasting our time. Anybody remember what that was? Seek the will of the Father. Seek the will of God for your life. Don't waste your time. Instead, seek God's will. And to be filled with the Spirit is what will enable us to be able to hear God's will. And and there's more that I'll get back to in a minute. But first, I want to focus on this God's will part. All too often in our life, we we don't do things that way. You know, when you go to work tomorrow, is the first thing you do start asking the Lord what He has in mind for this place of employment today? What it is that you should be doing? How you should do it? How you should speak to people? I mean, all too often we we get so busy with the tasks that are at hand to the point that we even don't even see how God has anything to do with that. You know, what does God care about photocopying? Now, that seems like a silly question if you think about it. If he's numbered every hair on our heads, then somehow or other photocopying seems like more important than that. But, but we want to compartmentalize it. And it's that compartmentalizing, that separating out of God from our everyday life that ultimately leads us astray. Because if we aren't seeking the will of the Father in everything that we do, in everything that we say, then what do we seek? Hmm? Our own will or what we believe is right. It might be what we desire. Have you ever heard they tell you don't go into a grocery store hungry to shop? Why do they tell you that? Because <laughs> you'll be stupid. I mean, ice cream, Oreos, potato chips, all that stuff sounds so much better when you're hungry than when you're full. Um, it's because your physical needs are not satiated, you know, they're not satisfied, and so you, you have a craving for them. And so you want more. And you'll go buying all this stuff that you really don't even need and probably shouldn't eat simply because that physical need hasn't been fulfilled. Well, if if that's true for us in everyday life, how much more is it so for our whole being? You know, is it not God who really knows what we need and what is best? I mean, who's wiser than God? And so if, if we are going to grow up into Christ, if we're going to grow up as Christians, we have to seek first His will. Because he will satisfy us. That's what this whole discourse that Jesus has been talking about in the I am the bread of life passages is. It's not like the bread that was given to your ancestors that was manna in the wilderness. They ate that, but then they got hungry again. This is the bread which will fill you up forever. It satisfies you. 
so that you don't have a need or a craving. And, and we can see the brokenness of the world in this kind of desire. I mean, we end up following what people tell us. You know, we wear clothes or buy cars or types of houses based on what society around us tells us is the right thing to do. You know, we talk about peer groups and who our kids should be associating with and who they shouldn't be associating with because peer groups will have influences on them. But do we spend nearly as much time helping them to see that it's God, it's Jesus, who needs to be the one who has the primary influence on them? That before they go do those things that might help them fit in, that might sound like fun, maybe you really ought to talk to God and be with the Father and ask Him what His will for your life is. And if we as adults can't model that for them, if we can't live out our lives as though that were the case, then how would we possibly ever expect them to do it? It would be impossible, wouldn't it? Ultimately, if we're going to manage to, to help our children to grow up, we too have to be grown up. And not just in terms of you know, being able to pay the bills or hold down a job, but ultimately in being able to hear the voice of God and to help them to hear the voice of God. And so if we're going to, to do that, then we have to seek God's will in all things, which leads us to the second part where he says, don't get drunk with wine. Well, the reason why you don't get drunk with wine, how easy is it to hear God if you're plastered? I mean, you might hear some spirits, but it probably isn't the holy one. You know, and all too often we're much more concerned with being filled with, with spirits than spirit. And, and then we wonder why the world is the way it is. Well, it's not just because everybody's drunk, but it is because they're looking for the answers in all the wrong places. They want solutions that ultimately don't solve the problem. Because the real solution to problems doesn't lie in externals, it lies with internals. And so he says, instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would he say be filled with the Spirit? I mean, you can almost imagine this at a party. Don't drink all that wine, get filled with the Holy Spirit. That'll get you thrown out of the party quick, won't it? But what he's saying is, look, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will have much more joy than you would ever have if you were filled with wine. And not only that, but it doesn't wear off. If you, you know, keep quenching that thirst that you have for good life with the Spirit, then you'll have real life, abundant life, joyful life. It doesn't mean that you won't have any problems, but it will change the way you look at those problems completely. And he says then what they should do. He says, so when you get together and talk, talk about the Scriptures. Sing spiritual hymns and psalms which is another indication, by the way, that we have that he's obviously talking about what was going on on Sunday mornings. Now, I don't think he was talking about, you know, the, the Ohio State game. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? We all started singing, you know, hymns and psalms, speaking, you know, talking about Scripture, the Ohio State game, where everybody tells us, shut up. No, I mean, why are they in church? They're in church to encourage one another in the Lord. And so he says, so be filled with the Spirit. And use those things to build one another up. And then he goes on to say something really radical. He says, give thanks to God 
When? Hmm? In all things. Now think about that. So if I take a hammer and I hit my thumb with it instead of the nail, I say, thank you, Lord, for that. I really appreciate it. My thumb needed a good whipping. And, uh, and what, what, what is he talking about? I give thanks to the Lord in all things. Well, what he's talking about is a complete change in the way that we see the world. You can see the world as a series of problems and obstacles to be overcome. And if you do, then you know what you will get? More problems and obstacles to overcome. Or you can see the problems and obstacles as opportunities. Opportunities to seek the will of God, to be taught by the Father, to find out what it is that the Father would have you to do and say. To begin to try to hear him more clearly. Because the truth is, is that whatever problem you may have, be it job loss, health, whatever it may be, it would not be if God were not allowing it. Right? Now, that doesn't mean God caused them. We're usually pretty good at that. But it does mean he's at least allowing it. So why? Well, Paul says that it's very clear why. It gives us the opportunity to grow in our faith, to grow up. It gets very hard to grow up. When I was a kid, my parents never made me do anything. Mainly because I was such a pain if they tried to make me do something. I whined and griped. I can't do it. I think they just finally said it was easier to do it themselves. And as a result, do you know what happened when I moved out on my own? I don't know how to do anything. Because I'd never tried. What's the best way to learn how to fix a washing machine? Hmm? <laughs> Call the repairman? <laughs> Go to the store, buy a new one? It's to practice, right? Now, if you're going to do that, is it necessarily going to go well? Probably not, particularly if you're me. But if you don't have those problems, if you don't have those failures, how do you ever learn how to do anything? I remember when John was really little, he he, he always wanted to, to know how to do things before he did them. He didn't even walk. You know, most kids, you know, most kids toddle. You know, they kind of take those tentative steps and grab hold of a piece of furniture or something. John never did that. I mean, he didn't crawl that way either. You know, kids scooch. Never did that either. John rolled until he could crawl, and then he crawled fast. And then he kept crawling until he could get up and run. Because he didn't want to do it wrong is the only thing I can figure. And when he went to first grade, that was really hard because when it came to doing homework, he was terrified of doing it wrong. And I kept saying, that's why it's homework. <laughs> so you can do it wrong and learn. And you can't get through life without doing it wrong. That's how you learn how to do it right. And so that's what Paul's saying is give thanks to the Lord in all things. Give thanks to the Lord for, for that person who's really getting on your nerves. And ask him, so why are you doing this? What is it you want me to get out of it? Obviously, you've given me an opportunity here. What is it? Chances are, if it's somebody getting on your nerves, he's giving you the opportunity for patience. 
You know, people always pray, Lord, give me patience. They never stop to think about how he gives you patience. I mean, you know, we just want it to sort of be magically transferred into us. It doesn't work like that. No, what God does is he uses these, these calamities in our life, these difficulties, as an opportunity for us to grow even closer and more dependent upon him. Because it becomes very easy for us to become dependent upon ourselves and our peers and, and the people around us. We begin to believe that we can actually do it on our own. But the truth is we can't. We need God. And if we're going to seek God's will in all things, then that begins with rejoicing in the Lord always, giving thanks to God in all things, in particular the hard things, the difficult things. Because when we begin to do that, then we begin to seek God's will. Think about this, if you will. If, if you have a problem, what's, your, what's the normal way of dealing with a problem? Let's go back to an example. You hit your hammer, you hit your thumb with a hammer. Is your first thought, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me by letting me hit my thumb with a hammer? Where's the ice? That's good, though. <laughs> That's usually not my first thought. <laughs> yeah, my, 